We've also started special believers meetings here on Wednesday nights, a time of inspiring music, edifying teaching for more people than just myself, spirit-filled ministry and services for people of all ages. Encourage you to come. Have you found Luke chapter 4 yet? We're going to talk about fending off the devil. How do we fend off the devil? Uh, Sometime back we did a survey asking people to send us their questions. And this was question number 7. It came in at number 7. It was echoed by questions like, can the devil read our thoughts? And uh, sometimes behind questions like that is fear. And I want to dispel you of all fear. Even if the devil can read your thoughts, what's the problem? Uh, sometimes Pentecostal churches in emphasizing the importance of praying in tongues give one of the benefits as, as follows. Uh, when we pray in tongues, the devil doesn't know what we're saying. I don't know that that's true. He's centuries old, according to the Bible. He knows multiple languages, and he used to be in heaven, so he knows heavenly languages. So what if he knows what we're praying? In fact, he can read the book and see our battle strategy. So he knows what we're up to. He's a defeated foe, and we fight from from a position of victory and not defeat. Amen? Amen. I know in our own modern world we get a little dismayed at the press revealing our battle plans to our enemies which really doesn't make sense, does it? But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it makes perfect sense. Just torment the daylights out of our enemy and tell him what we're going to do and do it. Amen? We don't have to use secrecy. How do we fend off the devil? Let's see what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? WDJD. What did he do in fending off the devil? Well, we know he defeated it. He defeated him, but in his earthly ministry, he lived as a man filled with the Holy Spirit and showed us how to defeat the enemy when he comes against us. In this particular occasion, the enemy is coming to him in a personal form, a visible, audible form. Most times he disguises himself. Some people he's disguised himself so much they don't even believe that he exists. Um, the Bible assumes that he exists and teaches so. And so rather than proving the existence of the devil, I just refer you to an earlier teaching on how do we know the Bible is true. Check that out. It's available in a brochure out there, or you can fill out a request and get it on CD. So right now, we're just going to talk about defeating the enemy. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 says, Jesus, he's been baptized being, and filled with the Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit. There's two keys there in defeating the enemy. That's being filled with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. There's a whole lot of Pentecostals that are filled but aren't led want to be filled and led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when they had ended he was hungry, to say the least. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Notice how he questions our identity to divert us from our destiny. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Well, Jesus wasn't sent here to become a bread maker. He wasn't sent here to pervert nature. He was sent here to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Jesus answered him saying, It is written, and he quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 
Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Who gave this glory to him? Adam, when he sinned. He surrendered his authority to the enemy. This is what I believe. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Well, who knows the devil's a liar? But he's, he's offering him a shortcut to what he came to do. He came to bring, the, bring the kingdom of God to earth. And here's a shortcut. Sidestep the cross, the crucifixion, the gospel, and truth. Just worship the devil and you'll have your kingdom back. Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written... And he quotes from two different passages that say the same thing, Deuteronomy 6.13 and 10.20. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, and he begins to quote the word himself, I think from Psalm 91. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Based on what the Bible says, you can fly. So just jump off this thing. He's trying to destroy him. And he's perverting the word. Verse 12, Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, and he quotes from Deuteronomy 6.16, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him until an opportune time. He departed from him for the rest of his life. No, he departed from him until an opportune time. Mark my word, for every victory you accomplish over the enemy, he'll come back later. Sometimes when you're feeling victorious, he'll attack you. Sometimes when you're feeling discouraged, he'll attack you. Sometimes when you're hungry or tired, he'll attack you. Sometimes when you're full and excited, he'll attack you. He comes at us at unpredictable times, but it's always the same ploy to bring us down. And a lot of times it's the same weapon that he uses against us, the same kind of temptation to make us think the last victory didn't work. But I've got good news for you. What defeats him in the past will defeat him in the present, will defeat him in the future. Just use the same old weapon on him again. Let your persistence wear him down. Departed from Jesus till an opportune time. How do we fend off the devil? Here's several keys. Number one, be a follower of Jesus and a student of the Scriptures. Be a follower of Jesus and a student of the Scriptures. In John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This isn't just some form of mental ascent. This is is experiential knowing the truth. It's about studying the word. It's about continuing in the word. It's about applying the word to our lives. And as we apply the word, we find it to be true, and our faith grows because faith comes from the word, right? And as our faith grows... We experience more freedom because it's the truth that makes us free. But it's not just the truth that makes us free. It's knowing the truth that makes us free. And it's not just knowing the truth that makes us free. It's continuing in the truth that causes us to know the truth that will make us free. So for a follower of Jesus, we'll take what he says seriously. Amen? Amen. The truth will make us free. Number two, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. I cannot say how important this is. In my own life, I'm I'm defeated every time I attempt to live a day without 
seeking the Lord to be filled by Him. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, See then that you walk circumspectly, that is, aware of all that's around you, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Who would say we're living in those kind of days? Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is waste or dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing to yourselves the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what he goes on to say. It's about worship, and we're going to end the service today with another time of worship, open-ended worship, where we can just get filled to overflowing as we worship Him. Be empowered to defeat the enemy. How to fend off the devil. Number three, be convinced we have an enemy the Bible calls the devil. Some people attempt to disprove his existence, saying that it's a cop-out to believe in him. And I know it's important not to be obsessed with the devil. Um, In our younger days, we attended a church that was obsessed with the devil. We knew there was a problem when our children were playing church one day. You ever played church when you was a kid? (laughs) Zane's standing on a little chair. He's about two years old, two and a half, maybe three, and Summer's six years old, and she's standing at his feet, kneeling down so he can reach her head, and he's got a screwdriver he's using as a microphone, and he's playing church, and this is all he's saying is, devil, 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 devil. We thought, well, we need to change churches. But let's not go to the other extreme. We do have an enemy, amen? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil... Tell your neighbor you have an adversary. Somebody saw the devil crying one day outside a church. They said, devil, what's wrong? He says, they're blaming me for everything in there. (laughs) Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We all have an enemy that the Bible calls the devil. And he goes about like a lion. I think the most dangerous predator in the American landscape is the mountain lion. If you ever face one, do not run. Because he wants to get at your back. So he can sink his fangs into your neck and sever your spinal cord and you're a goner. If you ever run into one, just stand your ground. Do not run. And your ground. <laughs> Number four, know that the enemy tempts us when we are most vulnerable. You know, devils aren't having babies. And as the kingdom of God grows around the world, he's got more territory to cover. So he has to become more strategic in the way his kingdom operates. Now let me just uh, take a sidebar here. The devil is not omnipresent. He's not. But he has a kingdom of darkness and evil spirits that he rules over that submit to his bidding. And so there's order and there's layers of authority and all that stuff. We don't have to understand it all, but just know that that's true. And so when we talk about the devil attacking us, we're not talking about the devil attacking you personally. But he's assigned spirits to harass us, torment us, distract us, and bring us down. So, therefore, he does get the blame. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10 and 11. 
Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Paul had learned not to take up someone else's offense. You ever know somebody that forgave somebody and they're fine, but the person that took up their offense is all messed up? Never take up somebody else's offense. It will screw you up. I'm telling you, it will mess you up. Because how can you get free of that? For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You know, Jesus told a parable of an unforgiving steward. And he says that steward who wouldn't forgive was put in a prison cell to be tormented by tormentors. Nobody knows what that is, but I think it has to do with evil spirits allowed to attack a person in unforgiveness. It's somehow legally Satan gets advantage over us when we do not walk in forgiveness. Should not be ignorant of his devices. He attacks us when we're vulnerable. When are we vulnerable? When we're hurt, when we're angry, when we're mad. Look at this verse. Ephesians 1, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down when you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He's after a foothold. So be aware. If you're mad, you're vulnerable. In fact, the word mad and crazy are synonymous. Did you know that? Yep. All right. Number five, know where our enemy attacks our identity to rob us of our destiny. That's not just a cute little rhyme. It's the truth. The same chapter where Jesus was tempted by the devil and says he left him for an opportune time, the devil then transitioned and began to tempt him, attack him, distract him through people. How many has been to Glen Rose and seen the promise? Yeah, I've been to a passion play. Well, the promise is unique in that it's got original music. That song, Jesus Sings Closer Than a Heartbeat, just, man, if I could steal that song and sing it, it just, I just love that song. You have to go there to hear it. But what's unique about the play, beyond the music, is the devil is one of the main characters. Behind the scenes, you see him at work, you know, pulling strings on people, basically, invisible strings, to getting working and attacking Jesus. And this is definitely at work. Before the chapter's over, look at what happens. Jesus goes to his hometown, Nazareth, reads Isaiah 61, begins to share the good news that he's a Messiah. And verse 22 says, So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? You know, they're not accepting it very well because they knew him since he was a child. Verse 28 he goes on to explain who he was, and by verse 28, they're ready to kill him. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Does that sound familiar? Jump off the pinnacle of a temple, throw him off over a cliff. We want to bring an end to his destiny. And it's all about his identity, who he was. He was crucified, all about his identity. Just think about it. No, don't think about it. You'll get your mind off the sermon. Number six, know the devil is persistent and will repeat the same thing later. Here he is on the cross dying for the sins of the world and they're attacking his identity. Matthew 27, those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, 
You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now, if you're Jesus, you're hanging on the cross, you're naked, you're being mistreated, you could call legions of angels at your bidding. Is that not a tempting thought? You know, I am the Son of God. I can't, I don't have to take any more of this mess. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. You hear the enemy talking there? If you are the son of God, if you are. That kind of temptation isn't unique to Jesus. If you're a Christian, why did you get fired? If God loves you, why aren't, aren't all your bills paid? If you raised your children right, why are they not all living right? Trying to bring us down. If you really had it going on, why are you such a loser? You ever had thoughts like that? Attacking your identity to divert you from your destiny. The early years of pastoring here, people, early members probably could tell you about these days. I would get attacked in the area of my identity through circumstances and even people <clears throat> and be dissuaded by it. But you know what? To overcome it, all it took was just to speak the truth. You know, I didn't put myself here exactly. I didn't dream this whole scenario up by myself. Why? Why? God called me. And yeah, we are a little church, but, but we're still here and we're still standing and this is a lie of the devil. You know, looking back over the years, there was a couple of the world's fastest growing churches that used to make me depressed. Those churches don't even exist anymore. We're still here. The kingdom is still here. Amen? Number seven, depend on the truth of Scripture and not on your feelings. Your feelings will lead you astray. What does the Bible say? Not how do you feel? Well, I'll obey the Lord as soon as I feel led. Let me give you a fish weight so you can feel lead. The Bible is true. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 11.3 I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In um, Genesis 3, looking at the temptation of the first humans, the serpent said to the woman, he tried to tempt her to eat this fruit of the tree that God said, don't eat for the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And she says, no, God told us not to eat of it for the day we eat of it, we will surely die. Here comes the tempter's words. You will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will not surely die for God knows something you don't know. He's holding out on you, basically. You're somehow being cheated here. They were already like God. One of the ultimate temptations I think we face as humans is to think God is holding out on us. To submit to jealousy and envy based on God's blessing in someone else's life and ministry and looking at your own and doing the comparing thing, it's never wise to compare. 
You do that, you're vulnerable to the enemy. He's going to take advantage of that situation. Because you either submit to pride, because you're better, or defeat, because they're better. So be careful. Stay with the simplicity of Christ. It is written. It's so simple. It is written that Jesus loves me. It is written that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. I have eternal life. I am a millionaire. I have a mansion with a golden driveway. Six Flags has nothing on my father's house. Number eight, declare the truth of Scripture to counter tempting thoughts. You've got to say it. You've got to say it. Philemon 6, that the communication, Paul is praying for Philemon, and he's praying that the communication of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. When your identity is under attack, begin to acknowledge the good things that are in you. I am the righteousness of God. I have been bestowed with righteousness. Yes, I was in sin. Yes, I was bound for hell. But I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I have a destiny. My story is not over. There are people that do love me. And I love people. And, and just begin to acknowledge those good things about yourself. This isn't hype. This isn't some shallow PMA technique. This is the truth. The communication of our faith, the transmitting and receiving of our faith becomes more effective if we'll begin to acknowledge the good things that are in us. In Christ Jesus. Not in ourself. Don't get off into the new age. Well, the God that is in me doesn't send people to hell. Well, the God that is in you is of the devil. He's going to hell. You need the real God of heaven. Jesus Christ. Amen. My self-made God is false. I need the God that inspired the Bible to be written. It is written. It's held human societies true and stable for centuries that build their lives upon it. Number nine, divide rightly the truth of Scripture to keep from being misled. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Remember the temptation of Jesus? Satan quotes uh, Psalm 91 to him to get him to jump off the temple and break his legs or be killed. <clears throat> it's interesting, another sidebar here. James, the brother of Jesus, was killed that way. They took him up to that very place and threw him off. Satanic plots to destroy Jesus and his family. So we must study to show ourselves approved so we can't be misled by false teachers and false teaching. Uh, in the area of spiritual warfare, there's a lot of chaos out there. People become pre preoccupied with, as though we have this yin-yang battle with demons. Oh, no, we have to have an all-night prayer meeting because it's Halloween. I grew up in the mission field where they would play the drums for days, worshiping the devil. They didn't call him by some other name. They called him the devil. And we slept like babies. Missionaries there before us, they played drums for days, conjured up spirits, and lightning came out of the sky and hit a missionary woman, Pauline Gruss, from Detroit, Michigan. She was there in... 
Fossil Malibiri hit her and the top of her head came out the soles of her feet. Left scars. She fell down dead. She ascended to heaven and as she's going up, she can look down and see the African people gathering around, the believers praying for her body and a voice tells her, I'm not done with you, you must go back. And she went back in her body, raised from the dead. I have, a, a ch- my father wrote that story. It's a chapter in the, his book. I have several copies if you'd like one. Ask me after service and I'll give you one. So, rose her from the dead. Could they have prayed for three nights and fasted for ten days and prevented that from happening? I don't know. The point is, God got the glory. God got the glory. Those who are practicing witchcraft are not giving the devil more power over us. They're giving the devil more power over them. Back when we were at Country Love Theater, back when we were at Country Love Theater, this gal was coming to church for a brief period. She would go out to her car and rattle bones and try to do all kinds of things. It didn't faze us a bit. Now, one service, I had a little tickling in my throat, but I think God allowed that so I would know she was up to some nonsense. I believe she's a believer now. So you have nothing to fear with witchcraft and, and all their plans and all their plots. You have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. One time we came outside our house. On my, I was mowing the yard. And out by our, the corner of our driveway was a pile of ashes with the arms and legs of something that looked like a teddy bear. So I don't know if it's a voodoo doll or not, but I just stopped right then and prayed blessing and conviction of sin on the person that's being deceived by that. It is a deception. The black religions, black magic and white magic and all that other stuff, they deceive the poor person that's in bondage to it. They're not a threat to the church of Jesus. The threat to the church of Jesus is false doctrine and being misled by false teachers and our own flesh. My flesh is my biggest problem. Fast 40 days for that. I tried. (laughs) Guess what? I still got flesh and I never made it to 40 days. (laughs) Number 10. Submit yourself to God. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Submit to God first. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So don't go on devil hunts. Go on God hunts. Submit to him. Lord, what do you want me to do here? When the devil gets in the way, then deal with him. You don't have to pray and take authority over demons within a 21-mile radius. There's a church here in town that used to do that. They They don't exist anymore. So don't pick fights where you don't have authority. You have authority when you submit to God. Our authority is totally delegated. So whatever I do for him, in obedience to him, I have authority to do according to the word and according to the leadership of his spirit. And if some demon gets in the way, guess what? I have authority to tread on him. Amen. little homework assignment. Um, in Ephesians 6 is the armor. Read Ephesians 6 and then go back and read, meditate on it and go back and read the temptation of Jesus in Luke 4. He was wearing his armor. Breastplate of righteousness deals with your identity. He held strong. Shield of faith had to deal with... Well, I won't get into it. I'll be preaching another sermon. One final point. The battle is already won. It's already won. Can we give the Lord a hand? The worship team come back up and lead us in some worship. <clears throat>
If the ministry team could join me across the front. And as we worship the Lord, if you'd like to receive prayer for anything, if you'd like to receive prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're here to pray with you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have been attacked by the enemy and you need some strategy, some wisdom, some more power, we're here to pray and ask God to grant your request and your need. Amen? Amen. Don't rush off. If you must go, you're free to go. But let's, let's worship the Lord for a while. Amen. You can take the screen back if you'd like.
May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Peace that is not from compromise, but peace that is from victory. May you walk on the devil in His kingdom all the days of your life. And may your identity be complete and whole in Him. And may you walk out the fullness of your destiny all your days here on earth and throughout eternity. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you must go, feel free to go. Don't forget to give the Lord His tithe and offerings. Let's continue worshiping. You're holy, Lord.